From the Preservation Maryland studios in the historic podcast district of Baltimore, this is PreserveCast. Few names have become as synonymous with grit, determination, and liberty as Harriet Tubman. A Moses for her people, Tubman has become an almost mythical character who represents the very best of the American spirit in the face of incredible suffering and inhumanity. Yet for many years, she lacked a rigorous and scholarly biography. Today's guest, Dr. Kate Clifford Larson, addressed that historical inequity and helped bring Harriet's real story to a new generation. On this week's PreserveCast, we're heading back to the brackish marshes of Maryland's eastern shore to talk Tubman, slavery, and freedom. This week's episode is made possible thanks to the generosity of the 1772 Foundation, one of America's preeminent supporters of preservation in history. But we need your support, too. Individual listener support is truly the backbone of our podcast, and every dollar counts. So please consider visiting PreserveCast.org to make a quick contribution to keep content like this online. And also, please give us a five-star review. Thanks. And now, let's get preserving. Dr. Kate Clifford Larson is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author of three critically acclaimed biographies, Bound for the Promised Land, Harriet Tubman, Portrait of an American Hero, Rosemary, The Hidden Kennedy Daughter, and The Assassin's Accomplice, Mary Surratt and the Plot to Kill Abraham Lincoln. After earning her bachelor's and master's degrees from Simmons University and an MBA from Northeastern University in Boston, Larson earned a doctorate in American history at the University of New Hampshire, specializing in 19th and 20th century U.S. women's and African-American history. She's consulted on feature film scripts, including Focus Features Harriet, documentaries, museum exhibits, curriculum guides, public history initiatives, and numerous publications. Her award-winning consulting work includes Maryland's Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad State and National Historical Park, the Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad Byway and All-American Road, and the Harriet Tubman Home in Auburn, New York. Dr. Larson is currently writing a biography of civil rights icon Fannie Lou Hamer entitled Walk With Me, due out from Oxford University Press in 2021. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast, and today we're so excited to be joined uh, by Dr. Kate Clifford Larson, uh, who is the pen behind some fantastic uh, historical biographies and um, really great um, works of history, including Bound for the Promised Land, Harriet Tubman, Portrait of an American Hero, uh, along with some others. And we're going to have the chance to talk with her today here on PreserveCast. And before we get started, we, we like to get to know our guests a little bit. So, Kate, where did you grow up and what you put, put you on this path to history in, in writing these important works? Well, I grew up in Maine, uh, in a mill town, and um, I always had a passion for history, and I credit my dad with that because he was a lawyer, and like most lawyers, they love American history, and he used to take us around to all these historic sites, or and I don't know if the things he told us were true or not, but anyway, it just sparked my love of history. And um, when I went to college, I uh, double majored in economics and history, And even though I went into the business world, I have my MBA, I always had this passion for history. So, you know, once I started a family, I decided I really needed to follow my passion. And I went on to get my master's and PhD in American history, specializing in African-American women and um, 
um, modern U.S. history, which is, you know, 18th, 19th and 20th century women's history. So that's what brought me here today. So obviously you've had this kind of interesting bifurcated career where you worked in the business world and, and that now you're really solidly planted in the history world. Um, what was your first sort of job once you transitioned to history? Um, how did the career look then? Um, well, I did some teaching, but pretty quickly when I was working on my um, dissertation, which was on Harriet Tubman, the National Park Service had started its special resource study investigating whether they should dedicate a park to Harriet Tubman. And they hired me while I was a grad student to help them work on that because I was coming up with all sorts of new information about Tubman's life in Maryland, New York you know, down in South Carolina during the Civil War. So that was sort of my first real job outside of academia um, that had to do with history. And um, and I've just kept on that path since then. And like, we're going to we're going to obviously totally get into Harriet and, and the work that you've done on her. But what a when you think about it, like what a weighty topic just to jump into, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to focus on, you know, one of the single most important women in all of American <laughs> history. You know, just that's my, my first foray. <laughs> Right. Like that's just like that's that's phenomenal. I mean, that's just so cool. It was um, naivete on my part. That's for sure. Right. Like I think that sometimes we need a little bit of that when we tackle these these huge projects. So you've written some really fantastic books. And I'm curious if there's a common thread to the history that interests you and which um, encourages and compels you to write. Well, there are so many women in American history that have not been um, examined or interpreted or interrogated. You know, we have so much history based on uh, mostly white men. Um, so there's there's a, a wealth of untapped uh, material and characters to write about and research. Um, but the way I choose them is there's something about that particular woman that that just hits me and I feel like I need to know more about that woman and I want and I have to feel that I want other people to know that too. So that's what's happened with the three biographies that I've written. I have a couple others that well one I'm working on now and then um, my master's thesis which hasn't been published but it's all about women that are not well enough known or that I, I just I'm so passionate about I have to write about them. And that's what drives my writing and researching is just I want to know about these women. And we mentioned it in your biography, but obviously you, you, you've written the what I will call the seminal biography of, of Harriet Tubman. You've also written about um, Rosemary Kennedy, the hidden Kennedy daughter. And then you've also written about Mary Surratt, um, right. the assassin's accomplice, which is it's almost like you, you could do an interesting and I'm sure you, you have thought about this sort of comparative study of Mary Surratt and Harriet Tubman, because they're both Marylanders <laughs> and like both come from very different ends of the spectrum, but both critically important. Um, it's just it's yeah. interesting. You've you've covered a lot of different ground, even just in Maryland history. Um, right. And I know we're talking right. to you from Massachusetts, so maybe someday we'll we'll get you we'll get you to move down here, um, since <laughs> since you seem to know more about us than maybe we know about ourselves. Right. Um, so, when did you make the decision to write about Harriet? You know, you you we we talked a little bit about this, and and obviously she falls right in line with what you just described about the people that you like to write about. But um, you're in graduate school, you're working on your PhD, and I mean, it's a pretty weighty topic, um, and there's a lot of pressure to get it right. When did you decide that you really wanted to focus on Harriet? 
Well, it started when I was in uh, my master's program at Simmons University. I had gone to just get a, a master's in women's history thinking I just might teach. I wasn't clear on what I was going to do. And the first couple of weeks that I was in the program, I started taking a course in African-American history uh, with a favorite professor that I had had back, you know, years before when I got my undergraduate degree. And um, at the same time, my daughter was in second grade and she came home with a little biography of Harriet Tubman. And while I was aware of Tubman, I really didn't know much about her and it sparked my interest. So I went to the library to find an adult biography because I was in this graduate history class and Harriet Tubman. And the only thing I could find were two 19th century biographies and then a biography written in 1943 by Earl Conrad. And my professors were shocked. They did not believe that no one had written about Harriet Tubman since 1943. And that just spoke to me. And I started looking into her life and realized how complicated it would be to do that research. And they encouraged me to go on and get my PhD and do that as my dissertation. So that's what I did. I, I ended up at the University of New Hampshire that had some great Southern historians and they really guided me in how to do the research in Southern courthouses. They knew that I would be able to find information about her in those uh, primary uh, archives. And they were right. And I just, you know, she just captured me. She captivated me. And um, so that's how it all happened. It's phenomenal to think that someone that important hadn't had a biography written in that long and, and really like an in-depth biography looking at different sources. I mean, the, the one back in 43 that you talk about, um, you know, it doesn't go nearly as in-depth and doesn't touch a lot of the sources that you have you uncovered. And I'm curious, for people listening, how much of the pub the material that informed the biography was previously unpublished? How much did you uncover in the research? There was a lot that had not been published. Earl Conrad did a pretty good job, but he didn't have access to a lot of uh, materials that I ended up having access to. Um, some of it were um, were letters and diaries and um, documents in Northern archives where all these abolitionists had written about Tubman, knew her, you know, wrote things that she said. And a lot of those materials were not deposited in Northern archives and libraries until like the 1950s or 1960s after he had written his book. And also he did not travel to Maryland. So he had no concept of the landscape, the place. He never went into the courthouse to see the records that were there. Uh, the archives in Maryland. So he didn't have access to any of that. And no, you know, it just hadn't been examined before and published. So it was, it was an amazing journey. It was a lot of work, but it was an amazing journey uncovering um, these things about Tubman. And I want to remind people that when doing um, African-American history, that a lot of people think, well, they can't discover the history before the Civil War because people were enslaved and um, so there were no records. But in fact, because enslaved people were property, there were a lot of records um, available in Southern archives and courthouses. And um, so that material is there. And also to remind people that Harriet Tubman was not famous when she was enslaved. So the records for her exist just like they do for other enslaved people. 
and I've, which is, is I think an important co- conversation and, and maybe even a future preserve cast where you talk about doing research on African-American, particularly an, an ancestors prior to the civil war. Cause I, I do think you're right. There's a lot of that mythology that I think like Henry Louis Gates and others have, have begun to kind of crack that or at least crack that myth, um, right. which is great to see. I'm curious, you know, you hear a lot of people who, particularly historians who take all of this time. And I don't know if you've mentioned how long it, it took to put this all together, but they sort of like live with these historical figures. Was there sort of a morning when it was done? <laughs> well, it's still not done. Um, so it was 10 years, basically, from the beginning of my master's program, the first two weeks where it occurred to me that, you know, I'd like to write about a Tubman or researcher. And then when I defended the dissertation and it was published, so it was 1993 to 2003. But I have continued to research and write about Tubman since then. And in fact, I just handed in a report. It's like a 400-page um, resource study for the National Park Service on the Maryland uh, Harriet Tubman National Park and Monument. And there's lots of new information that has been uncovered since 2003 um, in that report. So, you know, it just is endless. It really, you know, the internet has helped a lot. Archives are scanning their materials. So there's a lot of information that has come forth since 19, I mean, uh, 2003. So let's talk Harriet for a minute. Um, Let's talk about Harriet Tubman. For people who are only aware of the basics, and again, I would encourage them Um, This is not meant to be an extended uh, advertisement for your book, but if they're interested, they need to pick up Bound for the Promised Land, Harriet Tubman, Portrait of an American Hero to get a lot more of this. But let's um, talk a little bit about her. Why does a woman like Harriet matter? And and perhaps bigger, what does she teach us about our history? What does she tell us um, today that still matters? One of the, there are several really incredible things about Tubman and why she matters. First of all, she sort of represents um, the possibilities that anybody can change the world. An ordinary person who comes from the most uh, horrific um, obstacles and the most um, subjugated place born into slavery can rise up and really affect change in this country. She really fought for freedom every single day, but she she did more than that. She brought freedom to other people. And today her legacy is that she still represents that fight for freedom that we as Americans value so much and we espouse so much. And we say that that's what we fight for too. And we value, she embodies those values. And that's what makes her so important because as a very petite black woman formerly enslaved with little formal education could really take on the most powerful white men and and change the world and make it a better place that's what her importance is and i think she inspires people every single day who know her story and look to her as um, a source of inspiration yeah she is the I mean, it's a beautiful way of putting it she is the ultimate ultimate sort of american hero she is you know, I always think of like when, when we talk about the, the better angels of our nature, I mean, that mm. that is Harriet. Um, right. You know, she she speaks to all of that and all the promise and and also the 
you know, the despicable side of, of where we've been from. And she was able to pull herself out of that. I, I'm curious. I mean, so with someone that important and, and, and there's so much we can put on her and, and make her this hero and, and she is, but did you uncover much myth in the story or what people think they know about her? Well, there were tremendous myths um, centered around Tubman when I started the project. And a lot of those myths came out of um, the first biography that was written in the 19th century. Sarah Bradford uh, interviewed Tubman, but she was sort of this Victorian author who was racist and she didn't really pay attention to what Tubman was telling her. And she felt that she needed to make up things about Tubman to make her more important than she already was. Uh, another historian who's written a biography of Tubman, Jean Humay, says that Sarah Bradford was culturally incompetent to write the biography because she didn't take Tubman very seriously. And then in the 20th century, a lot of myths were piled on because it became popular to mythologize the Underground Railroad. And then that sort of just reinforced the myths about Tubman that, you know, she rescued 300 people in 19 trips. That's not true. Um, she rescued her family and friends, about 70 of them in 13 trips. And she, you know, there was no $40,000 reward for her capture. Um, it was $100. Uh, and it's interesting because people just blindly follow these myths without kind of interrogating them and, and thinking about them. And what Tubman did was still extraordinary. We didn't need the myths to make her really um, this unique character who did so much because no one was doing what she did. There were, you know, there weren't underground railroad agents going back and forth like she did um, to rescue people, risking their lives like she did. Is she really the only example of an Underground Railroad agent who goes back and forth that way? Um, so there were a couple of white men that did it, and there were a couple of formerly enslaved people who returned to retrieve their families, and that was it. But she, there's no record of anybody else going back as many times as she did and bringing out that many people. An interesting sort of a callback to a previous episode. We did have Dr. Richard Bell on a couple weeks ago oh, yeah. um, from the University of Maryland who talked about... Um, the reverse Underground Railroad. And unfortunately, there were a number of people who went back and forth on that um, yeah. and conductors in Maryland who were going and capturing free people from places like Philadelphia um, and dragging them back into slavery or back, not back into slavery, but dragging them into slavery. Um, they had never right. previously been there. Um, yeah. But interesting to think. And, and he even described how it might have even been as large as the actual Underground Railroad. I think he's I think he's on to something. I think it was happening a lot in um, in the southern states and Philadelphia, the border states that were free. They were losing a lot of people to kidnappings. So I'm curious um, to kind of uh, get people um really interested who aren't already about Harriet Tubman um, and sort of an entree to your book, which is a you know full-length study of her life. Do you have a, a favorite anecdote or two from her life which you think sort of speaks to the, the essential Tubman that we're drawn to? Um, well, one of the big things, and it isn't one instance, I, I think people, because they pay attention to the myths and it's the 300 nameless, faceless people in 19 trips, they don't actually think about who the people actually were that Tubman rescued. And it was her family and the people that she loved. And for Tubman, her whole life was about her family and her pursuit of freedom and her profound faith 
and the community that helped raise her, protect her, and who she they 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 hid her, um, they they educated her. Those are parts of her life that I want everybody to know about because she wasn't born in isolation. She was born into a family that loved her and she loved them, and a community that did whatever it could to protect its individuals, like Harriet Tubman. And she comes out of that, so she's a representation of that community on the eastern shore and that's what i'd like people to think about and when they go and visit the parks to think about the community that she was raised in to think about her family because that's who she loved and of course we can all think about that we love our families our friends if we were going to be on the underground railroad who are we going to rescue strangers Mm, you probably think twice about that but family absolutely right and, and coming back to the shore and what an evocative place it is. And, and we're going to talk about that. Why don't we take a quick break here for our Ballot and Beyond moment. And um, when we come back, we'll talk about the preservation of her memory and, and the places associated with her. And we'll do that right here in PreserveCast. 100 years ago in 1920, the 19th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States was signed into law and officially granted 20 million American women the right to vote. This mass expansion in voting rights was the result of generations of intense activism known as the women's suffrage movement that has had a lasting legacy on the continued fight for equality in America. In recognition of the struggles and achievements of a once disenfranchised majority, PreserveCast is honored to share remarkable stories of suffragists within each episode this year. Beyond the Ballot is supported by Preservation Maryland, Gallagher, Avilius, and Jones Attorneys at Law, and the Maryland Historical Trust. To learn more about influential women, past and present, or to donate, please visit BallotAndBeyond.org. This week on Ballot and Beyond, we'll learn about historian Dr. Rosalind Turberg-Penn, who made it her profession's mission to include African-American experiences in the telling of American history. Read by Kimberly Golden Brandt, Director of Smart Growth Maryland at Preservation Maryland. Dr. Rosalind Turberg-Penn. The early activism of African-American women had been largely deleted from the official versions of Black history, women's history, and American history. Dr. Rosalind Turborg Penn's work excavated these hidden stories from the historical canon, rescuing many heroic women from obscurity. Dr. Turborg Penn began her 40-year career in 1969 in the history department of what was then Morgan State College, under the eminent Dr. Benjamin Quarles. Upon Quarles' death in 1996, Turborg Penn would tell the Baltimore Sun that he had been one of the first historians to include women in their writings of history. Turborg Penn went on to obtain her PhD from Howard University in the 1970s while teaching at Morgan and sometimes also at UMBC and Howard Community College. Fellow Howard University graduate student Sharon Harley, who would go on to be a chair and professor of Black women's history at the University of Maryland, recalls Turborg Penn's determination to correct the record left by white women's historians who failed to give more than a passing reference, if any, to Black women. Dr. Harley wrote in a tribute to Turborg Penn, In keeping with the spirit of these Black women and male suffragists, rather than being angry about the situation, we took action. The two collaborated on the book, The Afro-American Woman, Struggles and Images, published in 1978. Turborg Penn would write six more books, including in 1998, African-American Women and the Struggle for the Vote. 
The New York Times called it a counterweight to History of Women's Suffrage, the six-volume book set edited by Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Matilda Jocelyn Gage, which had largely erased the suffragists who were not white. Turborg Penn's struggle for the vote profiled 120 African-American leaders, women who had organized suffrage groups, marched in parades, and spoke at rallies. Women like Marianne Shad Carey, a newspaper publisher and attorney who had attempted to vote in 1971, a year before Susan B. Anthony's arrest for the same thing, and Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, the Baltimore-born poet and novelist, who said in a powerful speech in 1866, that the fates of black and white suffragists were all bound up together. Perhaps one of the most influential names cover, Dr. Rosalind Turborg Penn, the woman who corrected history, pulling African-American suffragists from the sidelines. She died in December of 2018. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're so excited to have the opportunity to be talking with Dr. Kate Clifford Larson, a historian who has chronicled the lives of several important American women, including Harriet Tubman, uh, the author of Bound for the Promised Land, Harriet Tubman, Portrait of an American Hero. And before we took our break, we were talking about why Harriet still matters to this day, which she she really powerfully does. And um, talking about sort of the the stories of Harriet that we're drawn to. And I'm curious, as someone who's dedicated a, a, a good chunk of your life to Harriet Tubman and her story, do you feel that she's received the recognition that she's due? And, and if if not, or in addition to, what, what would you like to see done more to tell her story? Um, well, I think she's finally receiving the recognition that she deserves. Um, and so we have two national parks in her honor, one in Auburn, New York, and one on the eastern shore of Maryland. Uh, Maryland State Parks has a uh, state park and visitor center there in Dorchester County as well, dedicated to Harriet Tubman telling her story. And we have the byway in Maryland. It's a 125-mile byway that takes people along the sites of her life. Uh, while enslaved as a, a child and um, a young woman, and then her Underground Railroad um, sites. And that byway now extends through Delaware into Philadelphia, and there are people in New York State who are trying to develop the byway and extend it through New York into Canada. So that would be remarkable to have this, you know, 600-mile byway that tells Tubman stories. Um, I would love to see her on the $20 bill. There was a campaign to have her put on the $20 bill to replace Andrew Jackson, and that was approved by a former Secretary of the Treasury, uh, Jack Lew, and it's been put on hold. But I think that would be great to have her on our U.S. currency and remind people every day of how she really represents um, American values, that she's a true American patriot. Yeah, and I do think I mean talk about what an important um statement to put her on on, on the currency and um I am often just sort of amazed that um you know out of all of Maryland history um not only amazed but I guess proud too that the the two probably most prominent um people from Maryland history are Frederick Douglass and, and Harriet Tubman. Um and right. they're they're also probably two of the most prominent Americans both here and internationally, um, and to think that people who 
were born into such horrendous situations could rise and you know eventually hopefully someday beyond the currency um what a powerful statement that is um and right. and and I guess in an honor in a sense for for Maryland even though Maryland <laughs> didn't didn't do its part to honor them early on <laughs> I, I should say um right but it's doing it now. It's doing it now. And I, I, you know, it is, it's interesting that Maryland does have all these amazing historical figures who were real freedom fighters. And I have to give a lot of credit to Maryland because in the past 20 years, the state has really stepped up and put a lot of resources into elevating uh, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, and others like them, and to bring the visiting public into those landscapes, those sites, to learn about them. And I think that's it's admirable. I, I'm very happy about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and elevating that. And we have a, an underground railroad project that we're working on, trying to parse out mythology from fact and um, have applied for some additional funds to try and help actual physical sites. And in terms of historic places which tell Harriet's story, and these can be here in Maryland or beyond, do you have a favorite or a place or two that you'd encourage listeners to visit um, when when safe um, to experience her life? Like what what's your favorite place to kind of commune with Harriet? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, well, give us a few. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm, 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 the Eastern Shore of Maryland is just magical, and there's something very uh, moving about traveling those landscapes where she was born and raised and labored as an enslaved person, because many of those landscapes in Dorchester County uh, are very much the same as when she was there. Still very rural, very much uh, water-based kind of views and access. Um, and there's so much to learn about how she became Harriet Tubman there on those landscapes. You can see where she comes from. Um, and the other place is, of course, her home in Auburn, New York, where she uh, purchased a home in 1859. She lived there for 50 years of her life. Um, and there you can see the home that she lived in. You can see this, well, when they open it to the public, the stairs where the treads are worn that she would walk up, you know, every single day. And she was a part of that community and freedom. And she carried on her values of fighting for equality and justice and taking care of people who were in need and taking in orphans and fighting for access to health care and helping people with food insecurity. She's so relevant today because she was doing the things then that we all are still trying to, to do today. So I recommend both places. I think you have to get the whole experience by going from Maryland to New York um, to understand Harriet Tubman. And are we missing any important historic places? Are there more places that need to be protected or interpreted or opened that that tell that story that, that should be part of it? Um, I know that there's a byway and so you can stop off and see places, but you know, we've, we've put a lot of effort and, and energy into preserving a lot of our other historic homes and, um, you know, there's a handful of these places, but are there are there some on your wish list that you wish um, would be more open to the public? Um, I think so. There are sites that are not connected to Harriet Tubman, but they speak to the whole story of the struggle for freedom and the communities that supported that struggle, particularly in the South. We there's a lot of mythology around the Underground Railroad, for instance, that it was always these benevolent white Quakers that helped on the Underground Railroad, but in places like Maryland. The great majority of people who helped were free 
uh, or enslaved African-Americans. And those are the sites that I'd like to see elevated and preserved, documented, and have those stories told. Um, I think that people don't understand that enslaved people were part of the Underground Railroad, too, because they chose to stay behind and help others seek their freedom. The decision to leave your family behind was really difficult, and not everybody was willing to do that. And so they helped other people. And that speaks also to the secrecy that was that was so profound in the enslaved community that they kept people safe and they didn't often did not betray others. So I, in Maryland, there are many places like that and we need more documentation and we need those stories to come out. I, I'm thinking immediately of a, a, an enslaved man by the name of George Wilmer who lived in Kent County. And I think... I'm, I'm blanking on the name of his enslaver, but he was an Underground Railroad agent who went back and forth to Wilmington um, helping people escape. You know, his story everybody should know about, and wherever his enslaver's home was, maybe that would be a place to preserve and document. Um, there are places in Baltimore. There was a free black, a large free black community there in Baltimore. We need to document those stories, those communities, those families, those homes, and I know some of them still must exist. Um, so that we can further this, this story of ordinary people really doing extraordinary things. Yeah, and I think it also speaks to sort of this interpretation that has has come about in recent years, which is really positive, which is, you know, slaves weren't just emancipated by the Union Army, um, or, you know, it wasn't just all white, you know, benevolent Quakers, as you say. They had a hand in this. There was a lot of self-emancipation, um, right. which is an important part of that story. Um, and... Uh, you know, critical for us for us to tell, and and it's a story that um, we do get a taste of in the movie uh, Harriet, um, mm-hmm. where there are f- free blacks and enslaved blacks who are part of her initial escape to freedom, and then are are part of the story, kind of moving on. And uh, you know, I mentioned that in your bio that you are you were um, you participated and 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 helped out in that. Any any thoughts on the movie? Um, in terms of its sort of historical accuracy, were you pretty happy with it? Well, um, so I'm a historian and I, you know, there are some things that were not historically accurate to Harriet Tubman. You know, it wasn't all accurate to her particular story. Everything in the film was, was the truth to somebody. Um, so they didn't make up, you know, characters that were impossible to have, you know, back in the 1850s. Um, and of course, they had to conflate the, the timeline of her life and they conflated rescue missions. They wanted to get so much in in a two hour film. But I, I, I really like they portrayed Tubman as this strong woman and uh, I think they nailed her character and they nailed her passion um, and the love of her family her father Ben Ross I thought that was beautiful the way they portrayed him Um, Sam Green was based on the real character in Dorchester County who was an underground railroad agent free blacker Um, he was life to help people escape and he ended up getting and sent to prison um and actually you know his story is so remarkable he could have a film uh made about him as well so um i i really was pleased with the way the film portrayed tubman and her passion and um she was fierce and she was militant and i think that came across in the film absolutely um 
Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a fantastic look at her, and I think everybody should watch it. Um, so uh, what's next for you? Uh, where can people find you? What are you working on? Um, you know, make sure we have your website, your Twitter, where people can listen to you and hear your thoughts. Right. So you can reach me through my website and things like that. And I am now writing a biography of a 20th century Harriet Tubman type character. Um, her name is Vanny Lou Hamer. She was a civil rights activist from the 1960s. And truly, she rocked the world and changed the world um, fighting for the right to vote. And I know most African-Americans know Fannie Lou Hamer, but most white people do not. And I think she needs to have a a new popular biography. And I want everybody to know about her and love her as much as I do. Well, given your your track record of success with bringing Harriet um, forward to the the 20th and 21st century, um, hopefully you can do the same for for Fannie Lou Hamer. Should be exciting um, to read that. And maybe we can have you back to talk about it uh, here on PreserveCast. Before we let you go, the most difficult question for pretty much anyone who comes on, your favorite historic place or site? My favorite historic places? Favorite historic place or site. Yeah. Can you narrow it down? That is so unfair and it's so hard. (laughs) Well, I live outside of Boston and, you know, there's something about the fight for freedom here in Boston. Um, The Massachusetts 54th Memorial on the Boston Common opposite the Boston, uh, the Massachusetts State House is a magnificent site. Um, Oh, my gosh. There's just so many places, you know, Maryland and, and Auburn, New York, you have to go and visit the sites of Harriet Tubman's life. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. And it's been such a pleasure having you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for all the great work that you've done um, to chronicle um, one of Maryland's favorite daughters. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's show, notes, and all previous episodes, visit PreserveCast.org. You can also find us online at Facebook and Twitter at PreserveCast. This program was supported by the Historic Preservation Education Foundation. PreserveCast is produced by Preservation Maryland in Baltimore City. Thanks again for your support, and remember to keep preserving.